Welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. And if you are subscribing and following every episode so far, thank you for being with us. I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor of Wards Auto and your host. And a shout out to Drew Winters, our colleague who has been with Wards for more than 30 years. Drew just retired, though he will remain in the Wards family as a contributor, and he remains on the jury for the North American Car and Truck of the Year. I look forward to having Drew in an upcoming episode. Now, we have kicked off this podcast in our 99th year of operation as Wards Auto by talking about the pain and strategies in the transformation from an internal combustion engine-focused industry to one centered around electrification. Looming over the industry in this transformation is the proposed rule from the EPA widely expected to be made final. Now, while the EPA cannot control the number of electric vehicles sold by manufacturers, the Clean Air Act gives the agency the authority to limit the average amount of pollution generated by each manufacturer's fleet of vehicles. Now, the proposed standards set federal emission targets based on grams of carbon dioxide and other tailpipe pollution emitted per mile driven. The new rules would apply to cars and trucks for model years 2027 to 2032. In the first quarter of this year, electric vehicles hit a record number of sales, accounting for 7.2% of the new vehicles sold. The proposed standards signal to the private sector and local governments that it will be necessary to invest in charging infrastructure to meet the upcoming demand. And the projections show that by 2030, there will be 26 to 48 million electric vehicles on the road. Now, to service that level of EVs in the fleet, the U.S. needs more than 2 million public EV chargers by 2030. The EP's proposed standards are expected to be contested, by the way, in court by a group of Republican attorneys general from oil and coal-producing states. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey of West Virginia has already indicated that the group is ready to fight these regulations in court. Now, when we come back, we will hear from John Bozella, CEO and President of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, one of the chief lobbying groups for the industry. The Wards Auto Podcast is brought to you in part by Wards Events. Wards Auto is proud to bring you a series of auto tech events throughout the year and throughout the world. Auto Tech Detroit 2023 was held in Novi, Michigan this June, where more than 2,500 industry peers and innovators came together, shared content and insights about electrification, connected car, autonomous driving, and more. And it's where Wards Auto and parent company Informa presented the 10 Best Interiors and UX Awards, as well as the Informa Tech Awards. Check out the agenda for AutoTech Europe this November to be held in Germany, and AutoTech Electrification to be held in Michigan this October. At Wards, we're all about the future and guiding our readers and listeners to what's next. Go to wardsauto.informa.com.
So, John Bozella, thank you, uh, President of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. And uh, you have uh, several OEs and supplier companies as part of your your membership. Uh, it's an interesting time for you because, uh, and that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast, because we've been discussing over the first uh a uh, handful of episodes, the challenges and pain of the transition from uh, the internal combustion-focused industry to the electrification industry. And a lot of that pain has to do with the conflict between uh, consumer uptake, the rate of that, and the mandates that uh, come from government regulators and things like that. So tell us about what kind of year you're having. <laughs> <laughs> what a great start. What a great introduction. Well, first of all, I appreciate being with you. And I, and I do think, you know, look, you, you set it up well, right? This is a transformation that is going to fully recreate the U.S. automotive industrial base, and fully reimagine the U.S. automotive market in the years to come. That's really what we're talking about, right? So the stakes are high um, and the challenges are significant. Um, For example, before you even get to the sort of regulatory overhang, you've got companies that are investing hundreds of billions of dollars in this shift to electrification. Um, And you might argue that to some degree, we're still ahead of the customer. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a big country out there. We want to continue to make sure that we're providing customers with choice, um, not only choice of powertrain, but different um, vehicle configurations and price points. So choice continues to be important. Uh, and at the end of the day, there's no question companies know how to make electric vehicles. The question really is, is the rest of the market really ready for this? Do we have sufficient charging infrastructure? And we produce them affordably, which gets us to things like availability and pricing of critical minerals and raw materials and EV supply chains. And do we have a resilient grid that can really support this transformation ultimately? So when you think about the questions before us, yes, <laughs> lots of sleepless nights. I, when you said, do we have a resilient grid, um, I should tell our uh, listeners that we are recording this in Traverse City, Michigan during the Center for Auto Research uh, MBS seminars. And uh, we just went through yet another blackout, uh, power outage in southeast Michigan. And in, in Michigan, for example, if, uh, if, if 100 people get together and decide to blow at once, it, it seems to knock power lines out, you know, that are running through trees. So, so it's, it's a sore subject here. The uh, as far as um, it, it appears to me sometimes, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm I'm very pro movement as far as whatever we can do to mitigate climate change, and I'll you know I'll just put that out there. So, and I think transportation is you know that we should be pushing on all the levers that we can. However, to the point that you just made, as a student of this space. I've come to realize and learn that these things don't happen as quickly or as easily as uh, one uh, might think. For example, on infrastructure, I had a really interesting conversation with a guy at the Chicago Auto Show who knows all about the ins and outs and ups and downs of installing chargers, fast chargers, 
in an urban environment that is not ready or wired for it at locations that are not ready or wired for it. And it was a nightmare. Look, that's a, one of the challenges, right? Um, you, there are um, policies designed to start to address this question. Uh, the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed a couple of years back uh, has in it funding to support the development, the public development of fast charging, uh, and to start to also address areas where you might not immediately see private sector investment uh, in charging uh, difficult to reach urban areas, for example, in communities that don't normally see technology, uh, advanced cutting edge technology where they live and work. Um, so there is some policy that's starting to uh, come to bear. And in fact, there's a lot of policy, which I'll come to in a second. You know, the regulatory challenge is breathtaking. Right. Uh, you mentioned climate change and the, and the need to address, you know, reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions and reduce, frankly, criteria pollutant emissions. The, the path that the government here in the United States, the federal government is on, is an extraordinarily aggressive path that might be too fast. Um, and um, by what I mean by that is right now, EV supply chains uh, run through China. Uh, China is the largest market for electric vehicles and the larger ex the largest exporter of vehicles. And so if we go too fast, um, we risk being more dependent on China. If we go too slow, we lose our ability to innovate, control our own destiny and compete with China. So there is this dynamic with regard to the regulation. We need aggressive regulation that keeps us moving forward, that creates certainty for engineers and innovators to innovate. But if it goes too fast, we're challenged. If it goes too slow, we're challenged. So finding that sort of Goldilocks you know, moment um, with aggressive, challenging, unprecedented regulation, but done so in a balanced way is really what we need to focus on. So you know how Washington works way better than I do. Um, I guess my assumption, I agree with you that, that these targets uh, and mandates are aggressive. But in the back of my mind, I think, well, that's what, that, that's what they're intended to be. They're intended to be aggressive. They're intended to whip the horse to go as fast as it can with the idea and the fallback that if we get to 2028 and things are lagging, then the policymakers get together and they make an adjustment. Is that not historically what has happened? Would that it would be so. Or, um, <laughs> that isn't how it works. The regulation is the regulation. If a company fails to meet the regulation, they pay penalties or they uh, buy credits uh, from a company that's overachieved. That's the way it works. Um, and that's why getting this right is so important. Let's just talk about the numbers. Um, back in 2021, the industry committed to be at 50% ZEV, zero emission vehicles, by the end of the decade, 2030. That's enormously transformational and very aggressive and beyond where you'd see typical pro projections from industry analysts. What this regulation says is by 2030, will be at 60% battery electrics only. Mm -hmm. And by 2032, that two out of every three vehicles Americans would buy would be battery electric vehicles. That is an enormous hurdle 
and challenge, especially given that we don't have infrastructure right now and, and supply chains to support those numbers. Those are the numbers we're talking about. If we did have a process where every year we looked at a series of metrics and we were agreed on what those metrics would be, metrics about charging infrastructure, metrics about affordability, metrics about supply chain and grid resilience. If we had those metrics and we agreed that if we were, there was a gap between the regulations and reality, we would make adjustments, I'd be fine with that. And that would be a nice way to approach things. But that isn't the reality of how regulation is set in the United States right now. So so we have a challenging regulation. We do have some policy to support the transformation in the form of the Inflation Reduction Act, Chips and Science Act, and bipartisan infrastructure. But I think right now the gap would suggest that we probably need some adjustments uh, to, to the proposed regulation in order for it to continue to be challenging, but to make sure that we are supporting American jobs and American ingenuity. So I guess you sort of called BS on my, <laughs> on my assumption, which is fine. I don't mind that. Um, but it's it's uh, no, no matter which party is in power, though the auto industry there there is some agreement generally between the two parties that the auto industry is key for employment for our competitiveness, et cetera, et cetera. So if if the if the whole ecosystem is not progressing to the point where OEMs can realistically hit these targets and mandates. You, you don't think that there's a retrenching that happens? Because uh, I'm, I, I, th- I, I, I figured, as I said, that they want the industry to feel rushed and hurried. It's, you know, because you set a target and then let innovation, um, you know, take over and see where we are in five or six years. But if we don't put those mandates on, the assumption is that the industry will plod along. Yeah, look, I think that's a really you're asking some really important questions here. Um, let me let me just make a couple of points to first of all, um, your idea um, that we would set aggressive targets and reevaluate them over time is a great idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving you major points for a great <laughs> idea. What I'm saying is the policymakers may not be quite as open and supportive and smart about that idea as you are. So I think it's a great idea. It's just not the reality of how it works. Um, if you look at here's here's what here's what companies need. They need durability and certainty. Durability and certainty. Mm-hmm. And so. If you, if you have a situation where we have regulations that, that are overly aggressive and, 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 and not achievable, and then a new set of regulators and a new political administration comes in and then shifts the regulations all the way to the other side of the boat, that doesn't work either, right? So like what I think the industry wants most is durable and certain and clear regulation. And so what that means is finding that level of challenge and aggression that also has the support of the rest of the infrastructure. It makes no sense to have regulations that have us moving more quickly than we can install charging, Mm -hmm. for example, or more quickly than we can get supply chain here because then we're just rewarding Chinese companies. And and we're we're allowing, allowing China to continue to 
lunch off its 15-year head start. Mm-hmm. And so that's so it's not just about climate change. It's also about American competitiveness and about making sure that this industrial base transforms. You need a couple of years to transform the industrial base so American suppliers and American manufacturers and American uh, and their American battery counterparts and other countries, uh, companies who want to come here and invest in the United States have a chance to do so. That's That to me is a winning formula for American auto workers and American customers. So what is it that your members are asking? You, you know, when you meet with them, what what are the what is their expectations about what your group can do in terms of you know chin wagging legislators and policymakers? Well, first of all, on this subject, um, finding a balanced approach to aggressive greenhouse gas uh, regulations and cafe standards. So we're for standards, we're for aggressive standards, but let's make sure that they're balanced and achievable. So that's one thing we work on. Uh, In addition, on the policy side, uh, I mentioned a minute ago, uh, supportive policies, encouraging development of infrastructure, encouraging supply chain, the mining and processing of raw materials here in the United States. We don't do that here. So we spend a lot of time working with mining interests and suppliers and others um, to try and develop uh, an infrastructure here, a supply chain infrastructure here in the United States to support that type of manufacturing. Uh, we also work on technology po- uh, policy. Right now, the U.S. has a lead um, with regard to cutting edge innovation on automotive safety as well as highly automated vehicles. But we don't have a policy framework across the country to allow those vehicles to be tested and deployed at scale on public roads. If we don't get that right, we're going to lose our lead to China. Um, China already has, uh, Ch- Chinese companies are already testing AV that they've developed on U.S. roads. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to we, we need to develop a, a policy framework there. So AVs is another area we're working on, connectivity, uh, making sure that we have the, uh, the airwaves um, as well as the technology and alignment to support uh, technologies like vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-everything communications. We spend a lot of time working on the development of AI policies that support automotive applications uh, as well as um, other uh, cross-cutting issues like ensuring that vehicles are protected from cyber uh, uh, threats and making sure that uh, data and privacy uh, of our customers and, and, and passengers in our cars are fully protected. So policy affects just about every aspect of this business. And so, you know, we cast a broad net. China, just the, the, the whole subject of China complicates this. To, to my thinking, um, our battery analyst told me that uh, if that they're ahead on both mining and processing of uh, earth metals, you know, in in this area, and so he said, even if you even if you find locate a lithium, you know, store in North America, it's ten years before it's actually producing for you. So, so that's just a, a, a little taste of the, what the time thing is. But it seems to me that there are those in Washington who view China as a rival and those who view China as an enemy. And that seems to really complicate the whole supply chain pace at which we do this, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's not going to change, is it? No. I think you're making a really good point. Um, we, we live in a very politically polarized uh, uh, moment here in the United States. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But one of the unifying themes, uh, one of the few issues that unites both Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., is concern about China. Uh, concern, geopolitical concern, economic competitiveness concern, uh, just concern about China. Um, for the auto industry, it's a little bit more complicated than that, as I mentioned. Um, you know, it is a massive market, the largest car market in the world. Uh, we represent and work every day with global companies that want to compete in China, as well as the U.S. and Europe and other places. Um, so, you know, y- y- the idea that we're just going to automatically and immediately decouple the economies completely, you know, is, hard, is a hard scenario for, I think, folks in the auto industry to imagine. However, it is definitely true that there's a competition going on um, for the cutting edge automotive uh, investments and assets that, um, you know, that are taking place during this transformation. And so it is important for American policymakers to recognize that creating the right policy environment and the right regulatory environment for that those innovations to happen here in the United States is an important consideration. Can you, uh, last question, you, you related a, a story this morning uh, that I thought was kind of interesting. I wonder if you could share it with, with the audience. It was a nameless, and that's fine, uh, a member of the Biden administration with which you had a conversation. I thought it was interesting. Can, can you share it with our audience and highlight you know, what the significance of that is? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it really um, – it was about the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, th- these uh, – just a quick little background for your listeners. Um, the IRA includes um, tax credits and other incentives for both the manufacturer of EVs and EV supply chains, but also for consumers to purchase EVs. However, those provisions – are really designed as supply chain restrictions. In other words, they're designed to wean America's dependence on China for EV components and raw uh, uh, raw materials away from China to the United States. Um, the pace of those requirements is such that, you know, the, the incentives are unevenly applied. International car companies, for example, who operate here in the United States wouldn't qualify for many of these uh, incentives. And so the conversation went something like this. Don't we want to make sure um, that we're providing a policy environment uniformly across across the industry so that we can make sure that um, we're as innovative as we possibly can be and we can move uh, the transformation along as quickly as we can be. And the answer I got was, hey, look, that's not my job. My job is to make sure that we're focused on American investments, American jobs, uh, and uh, I'm not really worried and I don't really care about what, you know, government officials in Europe might think or in Asia about whether their companies would get to have these incentives. And I think it's indicative of a competition. We used to think about the industry uh, in the context of globalization. In other words, uh, mutual advantage between trading partners all around the world. And I think what that conversation says is those days are kind of over, right? It's really much more about independence and less about interdependence. And so, you know, that, that that's something we have to keep in mind in this industry as we go forward. Last question. Um, 
industries never fond of tariffs, and we had steel and aluminum tariffs, you know, come in. Have you kind of thrown in the towel on, you, you know, sort of chin wagging to try to get policymakers and, and lawmakers to, you know, to reconsider those things? Because it seems to me that those tariffs are put in place. Let's try not to be too pessimistic here, Kylie, um, because it was going to benefit uh, workers in a handful of congressional districts that are key to swing states. Um, not that it's great for the economy, uh, you, you know, or 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 industry. Uh, so, am I right that we're pr- probably going to live with those tariffs now for a long time? The the, the it's it is an interesting sort of parallel. One of the few things that I think President Trump and President Biden would agree on, which is that, you know, the utility of tariffs in certain cases, which is unfortunate, right? Because, you know, a tariff is paid by an American consumer at the end of the day, uh, or an American business, and so you know. But I think you know, as I you know, just talking about this sort of you know, the shift in mindset about globalization, I think that's a reality that we're going to have to get used to is that we're going to see more competition uh, between uh, former trading partners. And, um, you know, it might take the form of tariffs that may have looked temporary, but stick around for a long time. It may take the form of industrial policy uh, and other things. But it's it's uh, it's something we're going to have to get comfortable with. I think somebody uh, in the presentation this morning said we've gone from an era of interdependence to an era of desired independence while we still have a global economy with all these issues that skate right over international borders. It's uh, I got to tell you, John, I-, I like my job better than I like yours. <laughs> <laughs> I think after this conversation, I like yours better also. <laughs> John Bozella, thanks so much for spending time with us uh, on the Wards Auto podcast. We appreciate it. And look forward to your, your blogs and your, uh, and, and your podcast too. Great to be with you. The Wards Auto's podcast is brought to you by Wards Intelligence, Ward's Intelligence provides trusted data, expert insight, and reliable forecasts into the automotive and auto tech industries. Renowned for their extensive current and historical data sets, pragmatic perspective, and industry-embedded analysts, it's easy to see why over 90% of their subscribers renew each year. To learn more about their market-leading automotive intelligence capabilities, head over to wardsintelligence.informa.com. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to John Bozella for sharing his insights about these looming regulations. And just a reminder that you can subscribe to the Wards Auto Podcast on your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. I'm your host, David Kiley, Senior Editor at Wards Auto. Our Chief Engineer is Graham Mitchell. Until next time.